Luke chapter 4, verse 14 to 22. Are you there now? Please, can I hear an amen? amen. Hallelujah. Verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. I'll take the last verse again. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord Almighty, we thank you for your goodness to us, for another opportunity we have to delve into your word. Today, Freedom Sunday set apart to look at issues of justice, issues of your mission and our mission. We pray that you speak to us in ways we can understand and apply to live for you and to let your light shine through us as we wait for your coming. This and many more we ask for in Jesus, our Lord and Savior's name. Amen. Jesus' mission, our mission. I believe we all know what the mission of the church is supposed to be. If you don't, uh, you were reminded last week, but otherwise can we look at the bulletin together and read it. What is the mission of Calvary Baptist Church? The mission. And I hope you have your own mission statement as well. The mission of Calvary Baptist Church is what? To exalt God in worship, road to West Christian maturity, and reach out world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? Why do we reach out to others with that gospel? There are many reasons. The account that we read in Luke is a very fascinating account. And I will ask you to keep your Bibles open at Luke chapter 4. Even though we read from verse 14, I'll take uh, through some first part before we get to the 14. Uh, today, is today your first anniversary? Is that it's not your anniversary. Wish you were here, you know. Uh, okay, sometimes I see a lot of things and uh, you just have to ask and be sure. So the aim of this sermon is that Jesus' mission must inform us. If it's not our own mission statement, it must inform us because we say we are his disciples. We are called Christians today, but the first people who were called Christians, they were called Christians in Antioch, because they were behaving like Jesus. It was a nickname. It was meant to laugh at them or to say, these people are queer or peculiar. I mean, they are not like 
LGBTQ, where queer means queer, but not that sexual sense. But ah, these are people, when you slap them, they say, forgive. Say, are you a Christian? Come and let's love the Lord. They share their things to the poor and the needy. Jesus declares what his mission is in his hometown. But let's take that from the beginning and go to Luke chapter 4 and look at this in, our con- in the context. Luke 4 is one of those chapters that you read and you see that Jesus is led by the Spirit to temptation. Luke 4 opens and we see Jesus is baptized. Fine. And after he's baptized, what do you expect? The Spirit is on him. We are told that he returned, the Spirit was on him, and he was led into the desert where he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. The Spirit led him into the wilderness to pray and fast. And when he was there, he was tempted because he had nothing to eat. And the devil tempted him. Let's look at the nature of this temptation. This passage came to me forcefully. And I'll share with you an experience that I encountered with one of the old saints of God whilst we were growing up in ministry. And that stuck with me. And in preparing this sermon, and looking at this chapter, it came back to me. The man used to live at the park not far from here. Those days, there were all kinds of shops and kiosks. And he was known as one of the spiritual giants of this land. Known as a prayer warrior, you pray and you fast. So as youngsters who were growing here, sometimes we went up to this man who was from the Apostolic Church and the Church of Pentecost for, uh, to be our spiritual director and counselors. And sometimes you ask, are you praying and you're fasting? He say yes. And one day he said something to us. When you are praying and fasting, particularly when it's over a long period of time, be sure you do it in a community and humble yourself for godly feedback. I said, Mr. Sam, it was called Mr. Sam. Mr. Sam, what's the meaning of this? He said, from experience, when some people fast over a period of time, a long period of time, they start getting, they deny self, the flesh, because they want to wait on God. But sometimes that waiting on the Lord, they engage the spirit realm. And you get all kinds of messages in that realm. Sometimes it's from self, the thing that you've talked about. Sometimes it's from the spirit. Sometimes it's from the devil. So be sure where it is coming from. Because many have been led astray by thinking that all messages they get during prayer and fasting over a long period of time is from God. I said, oh, say, where from this one? Say, I'm not saying it is always true. I'm just saying, be humble. If God has spoken to you, he'll confirm it. Check and cross-check. So I said, can you prove this to me from the Bible? 
The Baptists, they say they are people of the book. The man said, oh, it's easy. Go to Luke chapter 4. Then he said, look at what he said. In those days he ate nothing, and the Spirit led him, and the devil tempted him. You go back to that verse. And he asked, and the devil tempted him. He was praying and fasting. And who tempted him? The devil. So we see that you can even say this is a spirit-led temptation. Hello, if there's anything like that. And you see a purpose for it. He was now in the spiritual realm seeking to know and do the will of God. And in that state of prayer and fasting, he had obvious needs. He had spiritual needs, spiritual goals, physical goals, things that he had set his mind to do. He's now about to enter into the public ministry. So whilst praying and fasting, what is the first temptation? Hey, if you are truly the son of God, tell these stones to change and become what? Bread. Why? The man was hungry. And what did Jesus say? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What is happening here? The devil was tempting Jesus to take a shortcut and take a sensational approach, cheap popularity towards ministry. Can you imagine Jesus turning all the stones in the Judea desert to become bread? Everybody should come for it. And they come. And here Jesus standing there, free, don't go me, don't go me, take, eat whatever you want to eat. Because later on he shows to us that he can multiply. But this one, he saw that where the trial was coming from, was not from the Father. Where the message was coming from was from the devil. And the devil was tempting him to take quick, fast-track approach to meeting his physical need and meeting the physical need of people. And therefore, he counteracted it by saying, it is said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Friends, I tell you, there are still those temptations today People go on all these mountains and valleys and rivers and go through long periods of prayer and fasting. Very good. And they get messages. But sometimes they are too proud or too ignorant or too full of themselves that they are not even aware to believe that they can have any message from anywhere else apart from God. And so, in fulfillment of the devil who is a trickster, an adversary, a liar, an opposer, they do the devil's job thinking that they are doing God's job. So, they sell you anointing oil. I'm not saying all anointing. They sell you synapy. They send you all kinds of things. And those things help improve their own physical and monetary positions. It still exists today. Are you with me? I'm saying things that you should think and pray about. Secondly, he said, no. <laughs> he says, you know, Look, second temptation. What was the second temptation? What did he do for him? To get personal glory and dominion. For him to be seen as the latest in town. The most powerful, the most handsome, the most important child of God. Whilst he was fasting, what did the devil ask him to do? Do what? Worship me. Worship me. Yeah. So if you bow down and worship him, what is wrong with that? Yesterday, somebody sent me a link from the UK. Church of Satan. Click on it. $25 for membership of the Church of Satan. The devil just said, you worship me. 
And when you worship me, what will I give you? All the kingdoms of the world. All the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus said, I hear you. He did not say the devil cannot do it. Because the devil is not able to give you all, but he's able to give you some. And make you think that you are the king of the world and, and on top of the world. So you will not worship anybody except the Lord your God. Cheap popularity. And there are some today who, because of the revelations they have received, they have become men of God, women of God, Papa to be blessed, to be worshipped. They kiss the ground in front of them. People are lying in front of them. And they are so important that even if they ask you to eat grass, you eat grass. If they should stamp on you, they will stamp on you. If they say, bring cocoa, let me put sugar in this way, your marriage will be sweet, you do it. Why? The man wait, he went there, he waited on God, and this is what the revelation of God said. Where were you when I was there? Oh, they haven't read. That after 40 days of prayer and fasting, Moses was coming down from the mountain, and he heard the cry and the shout, and was so angry, so angry, that he did what? So glory to God. What did he do? He broke the tablet out of anger. In the spiritual realm, be careful. Then he said, oh, Jesus, okay. And every time Jesus was quoting scripture, the devil was also giving half. He was quoting. And Jesus was also quoting. Then the third one, he took him to the pinnacle. The highest. Look, oh, look at all the kingdoms of the world. So which one is the tallest building in Accra? Wherever it is, you go there, you see the beautiful one. I can give all of these things to you. Jump down. Jump. And when you are jumping down, he will give his angels to take charge over you. That without a helicopter, a pad, without anything like going to Kwau to fly in a Kwau paraglider, you will land safely and you will see, Shwa! look at this. The king has arrived. What did he tell him? He wanted to change the timing of Jesus' ministry. It should be now. Launch in front of the TV and the satellite and everything. Isn't that what we want? That temptation, if he had yielded, finish. Jesus had to prove to him that you may have done that to the first Adam. You succeeded. But I have come as the first Adam and you would not succeed. That's why I like what the hymn writer said. So once to every man and nation comes the moment to decide in the strife of truth with falsehood for the good or evil side. That every time, even as spiritual as we want to be, as Christian as we want to be, in seeking to know the will and the mind of God, just be careful, be humble, particularly when you are doing those things that you think help you be very, very spiritual. Be spiritual, but also be humble and be in a community, let others talk to you. When Mr. Sam said those things to me, I said, wow. And he went on and on and on to share experiences. And I've lived long enough to have seen some of these things as truth, what he was saying. Now, then the Bible has a way of presenting narrations. That's why we urge you not only to read, but to study the Bible. So this is Luke chapter 4, from verse 1 to 13. Our scripture for today, Jesus' mission should be our mission, is taken from verse 14 to 21. And when you read verse, verse uh, no, now after verse 13, just says, the devil left him for a while to go and do what? And go and hang himself. 
No, he decided to go, and then he will come back later on. But after that, Jesus went from village to village, preaching, teaching, healing, and doing all kinds of things. And all of these things geographically took place in Jerusalem, Judea, all this hometown area, Bethlehem, all these places. Now from Luke chapter 4, we see Jesus now in Galilee, where he did most of the work. And in context, if you study the Bible, you see that this is probably after one year of ministry. Say, oh, pastor, from verse 13 to 14, or verse 11 to 14, it's about, it's about one year. Yes, we have to study the Bible. What Luke is presenting to us here, the purpose of Luke is to write to Theophilus and give an account to him to know and understand what Jesus did. But you have to go to somebody like John, who narrates almost chronologically to see that after the 40 days of prayer and fasting, what did Jesus do? He picked 12 disciples who were with him. What did he do? He went to Jerusalem. He cleansed the temple. He went to Cana. He gave them what? Somebody's wedding. He provided water to be wine. John 3, he went to Samaria. He met this woman at the well. Then John 4, he went and did all of this thing. So after the wilderness, he plunged into ministry. And by the time he arrived in his hometown, his reputation had preceded him. He was now proving that this is not what I came to do. I didn't come for cheap popularity. I didn't come to get glory for myself. I came to do the will of God. So it is important to know what you did not come to do as much as what you came to do. So tell the devil, this is not what I came for. This is not what I came for. And then plunge in the spirit to do what he had come to do. And by the time he got to his hometown, the news was there. That, hey, another Messiah has come. So when he walked into the synagogue, they knew who he was. They would not take a novice to just come and tell them some story. They knew who he was. So when he sat down there, they knew. And they were watching. And you see later on what they said about him. Now he takes the scripture. They give him the scroll of Isaiah. And then he reads it. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Huh? He read all of those things. Then he gave it back to them. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. He didn't read all. He just read it and stopped somewhere. Find out for yourself which one he didn't read. And why he didn't read it. What was the stated mission of Jesus to his people? And that's where we are today. Some say it's three, some say it's four. But I like the simple summary that one preacher gave recently. He said, you can take three or four or five. But understand that Jesus' ministry was preaching and teaching. Is there a difference between preaching and teaching? As my uh, English master would say, even the, yes, because even the names are different. One is preaching and one is teaching. <laughs> teaching is trying to break down the word for people to understand. But preaching is proclaiming the big, big, big things you proclaim by you teach. So Jesus engaged in both. He did preaching and teaching. He did teaching and preaching as one. He didn't miss the opportunity. Like I'm trying not to miss the opportunity between preaching and teaching. He did both. Preaching and teaching. But then he also did healing. Healing. Physical healing. Emotional healing. He corrected all kinds of ideas that people had. And healed their diseases. Healed the paralytic. Healed the blind. Healed the maimed. He did all of those things. 
and he commends them to us. But in addition to that, there's a third one that he did, which is pastoral care and counseling. He took people, showed them care and compassion himself. Yes, before he could raise Lazarus, he showed to Mary and Martha that he cared. He wept. So what? Well, look, how he, look how he loved them. He wept. Look at the woman at the pool of Samaria. I mean, look at the woman in the Samaria. I mean, he showed that care about this woman. He was about to do something in her life, but he, under, he showed a lot of care and concern. Look at the woman who was caught in adultery. Stone her, stone her, let her be gone. Say, woman, okay, fine. Where's the husband? I mean, where are the men? I don't know. Go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Lot of pastoral care and counseling. And he won the people's heart. If we are Jesus' disciples, or since we say we are Jesus' disciples, we must, minimum, walk in his steps. Hello, do you hear me? That's what I'm saying, that the name Christians that was given to the Christians in Antioch was given to us as a nickname. Look at them. They behave like little Jesus, apprentice Jesus. You slap, you say, slap me again. You are hungry, he give you food. Say, okay, let's share. But today, hmm, may the Lord help us to know that we are to be his disciples. And his mission is our mission. By this, all men will know that we are his disciples if we love one another and raise the bar. Now, if this is the threefold mission of Jesus, how do we as believers exhibit it today? Today, that is being marked particularly as World Justice Day. What should be our response if his mission is our mission? First, we must even accept it. We must accept that we are anointed and set apart by God to be his ambassadors and his followers. There are many of us, the challenge the Lord has is to convince us that he has done something for us. He has anointed us already. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Read the words there. We are anointed. And anointed does not necessarily mean pouring oil. It can include that. But anointing that he's talking, the Spirit of God is on me, has anointed me, means that he has been set apart. You have been made holy. You have been given an agenda to fulfill the will of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It talks about what God has done for you. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. So by grace, you have been saved through faith. Yes, God has given you even that faith to believe in him, and that faith should carry you further. But now let's read the verse 10. Read it together. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has ordained that we should walk in them. He has ordained in other versions said, which he ordained before the foundations of the world. Tell somebody you are God's workmanship. Now, God created you unto good works, which you will find to do tomorrow. Is that so? God ordained them. He chose, he defined, he equipped you to do what he wants you to do before he saved you and sent you. What does that mean? 
You see, there are many of us as believers who want to do something for God. And we are so eager to do something for God that we don't listen to what God wants to do through us because of the gifts he's giving us. We are all different. All the five fingers work together, but they are different. And so instead of finding what God has given you to do that you can do and do very well, you now want to envy others or minimize what you are able to do and not do it. So for instance, works that God has prepared beforehand that you should work, work in them. There are some people who have a special gift to be sensitive to certain things. Oh, when they pass here, all they see is death. They can see plastic here. They can see death here. They can see children who have saw over here. They can see things. Let me suggest to you that the things that you are sensitive to, that you can talk about, that consume you, may be something that God has equipped you to do something about. So instead of going and say, ah, I for Calvary, you see, they live near the circle, but they are not doing anything about the prostitutes that are here. True. We'll not be doing anything about the prostitutes that are here. But every meeting you come, you want to remind us that we are to rescue the prostitutes. And my question to you is, fine. Why are you so passionate about that? Could it be that God has given you a special grace, a special anointing to be part of a team like-minded people who can do the deliverance and rescue of these people? Do you get me? Oh, you are not getting me. Yeah, because that is how he's created beforehand that you should walk in it. There are some people who are equipped to teach, but they are so passionate about children. And when they are teaching children, they come alive. When you ask them to teach adults, they freeze. And that's a different thing altogether. So there are roles, there are things that God has given us to do. And we are anointed to do that. Because Jesus is in all of us. But some are his hands, some are his feet, some are his ears, some are his nose, some are all these parts of the body, and together we work to serve him. We are anointed and set apart to do this. And when, and when we exhibit all these things as the Lord wants us to, you will see that the world will take note that we are truly his disciples and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Hallelujah. Amen. Our mission to find out what he set you apart for what he has equipped you to do. Secondly, to accept Jesus' mission as your mission and to know that you are not omnicompetent. Secondly, you are to proclaim the good news. The good news means he has come and there's salvation for all. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. John 20, 21. But when he said the Father has sent me, so send I you. The world now has a different understanding of proclaiming the good news. The world keeps changing the standard of good news. And so for the world, good news means sometimes human rights. That all human beings are free. You, you don't have to tell anybody who they are, what they think they are. If I feel that I want to be a woman tomorrow, I can say I'm a woman and I'm a woman. If I want to be a man, I can continue to be a man. If, uh, if I don't like my nose, I can change it. And so... You get things in the world. Now that, that is the good news. That's the liberation that we need to proclaim the good news to everybody that they are free to be who and what they want to be. 
And the Western world is championing this and it's even coming here. People are free to be whatever they want to be. That is not what Jesus means by saying we are to proclaim the good news. The good news he's talking about here, Paul defines it in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. That I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is God's power unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. He's talking here about proclaiming the good news of salvation because he knows that there are people who can be given good news. Good news, you hear about good news budget. This is good news budget. It will put money in your pocket. But let me suggest you that you can get good news budget. People can give you money. They can give you houses. They can give you cars. But as far as the gospel is concerned, what shall it profit a man to gain all these things and lose their soul? Recently, I was working with a guy. He said, you know, this religion, they do very well. They give a lot of alms to the poor. I said, yeah, I know. They do very well. And I'm, and, and I'm sure sometimes they do better than Christians. He said, oh, yeah, yeah. I knew that's where he was headed. That they, they do very well. I said, do you know that one of the cardinal beliefs of this is to do sacrifice, sadaka? He said, yes, that's why they do it. He said, because they are supposed to do sadaka and they do it, some people have also decided that it is their duty and responsibility to help them to do saraka so that they will be beneficiaries. So if you give, somebody must receive. So they are also there to receive. So are these people going to ever get the liberation of being made to know that it is better to teach somebody to fish and have independence and have confidence in themselves than to perpetually sit down and be receiving handouts because they open the gate for somebody. It's, oh, I didn't look at it that way. So no, good news means you are made in the image of God and your faculties must be developed. Proclaim the good news. And apart from all of that, make sure that they may have the houses, the cars, and the charities you want to give them, but they become truly born again and enter the kingdom of God. When you haven't done that, all the things you have done are good. But good people die and go to hell. Wet Christians die and go to hell. It's only people who are born again by the Spirit of God who spend eternity with God. And our Lord Jesus Christ has defined it. And that's why Paul can say, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the good news. It is God's power unto salvation. And so it is possible not to have all the good things of this world and lack them. But that the rich man and Lazarus end up and experience the favor of God in the presence of God. The poor man did not get there because he was poor. No. And the rich man did not get to hell because he was rich. But it is their decision that they made in relation to the word of God and the salvation that God gives to us. Hallelujah. Amen. Number three, how shall we, as followers of Christ, live today? Live the world in which we live. I can go in many angles, but because today is Freedom Sunday at the invitation of International Justice Mission, let me draw your attention to some areas where even we as Christians need to open our eyes and see where there's a lot of hurt, injustice around our communities 
that we should be able to do something about. Remember in the days of Jesus, there were people who were lepers. You don't contract leprosy necessarily because you've done something. Well, Miriam and the brothers got leprosy as a result of punishment from God, we can say. But they know it's a disease, and when you have that disease, they confine you somewhere, and you have to shout, unclean, unclean, unclean. Even people like that, Jesus knowing that the structures were evil, the structures were unjust in discriminating against them, went close towards them, prayed for them, and healed them. Only one went to thank him, but he healed them. Today, IGM is drawing our attention to the fact that there are people in our midst who are being treated as slaves. Incidentally, this is the 400 years of uh, slavery and therefore emancipation. One of the evils around us is child trafficking. I came across that first at Christian Council, and I couldn't believe it, that there are people along the coasts, we send them sending communities and receiving communities. Let's start from the receiving communities. There are people whose job is farming and fishing along the Volta Basin. When the Volta was dammed and Akosumbo gave us power, some live trees were captured and they died. And they are still there, which is expensive wood, priceless wood. But among the roots and all the entanglements and all the forests under the water, fishes go there and breed. So some of these our fisher folks know that, oh, you can go there and get good catch. But when they throw the net, the net gets what? Caught. So what is the idea of human beings? The idea is that let us get some good young children who can dive and go down there, who can untangle <laughs> the net and help us get the fish. Now, you won't go to any parent and tell them, can your child do that? Of course, once in a while, some parents who are not correct may agree. But most times, they won't go there. They just come and say, oh. So they know where to get children like that. They are children born far away, near the sea, near the lagoon, near the rivers. If you, if you come from Evelyn, you know, Tong, Tong means they live near the water. So those children, as early as six months, they know how to go into the water. They are nimble. The first group we saw, they had come to a place like Botiano and Kokrobite, those areas. They came and found this nice woman who was crying because she only has a funeral. Her husband is dead. The family says she should bring some, apart from the Ghana cities at that time, to do the funeral. She didn't have the money. So they said, oh, Madam, if you take this, your boy, to Accra or Kumasi, we can help him. He will, he will serve and we'll give you some money and your child. I mean, the man said, Okay. I have six already anyway. If you take one, it's one less mouth to feed. So how much will you give me? So about 50 cities. So if you can make it, advance. So they give this woman one year advance and she's happy and sends the child away. And she goes to give the money to the family to go and have the funeral. This woman takes this child from the mother 
instead of coming to Accra or Kumasi, takes them to where she knows she'll get the market. The boy is qualified. He has been swimming since he was six months, one year. He's very good. His fingers are small. He can go down. So he goes to this, give this man. The man gives some money in return, which never comes back to the mother. You see how it works. So 3 a.m., 4 a.m., this boy is woken up. Let's go. Where? Sit in the boat. Paddle. Meanwhile, the owner's own children are asleep. Let's go. It's going. Throw the net. The net is caught. Go down there. Say, hey, 3 a.m., 4 a.m., come on, go. Bam, bam, bam. If you won't go willingly, you'll go unwillingly. And they go. Some go are able to maneuver and untangle. Some go and never come back. You may have seen this on your TVs. And it's become so endemic that the world has taken note of it and saying, Ghana, if you don't stop this. A program was launched recently. We are on danger zone that if we do not do anything about it as this country, we'll be in serious trouble. International Justice Mission is championing this. It reminds me of something that used to happen here long ago. Trocosy. The same thing. Somebody has sinned against the gods. And the gods have decided that a woman should be given to a fetish priest who can do anything with this woman. And if that woman uh, dies or is too old, it should bring another one. The Baptists went into that and rescued some of these women. Today we have the Baptist Vocational Training Center at Francadia to train these girls to have a life of their own. So these things have been going on. First, we as even a community, we don't even know that it happens. We don't know. Because we are so much looking in the other direction. So this Freedom Sunday is asking us to do a few things. Let's just go to the action point. What can you do about the type of injustices that are around us? We've just come out of one, whether we've actually come out of it or not. We've come out of one for a tragic ending. Kidnap girls. They've been killed. But is it true that when those girls were being taken by somebody, nobody saw it? There are some in our neighborhoods who have children or who have even adults who are, excuse me to say, physically or mentally challenged. They lock them in rooms, put chamber pots around them, give them food, and give them bobo to stay, and the parents go out to do their work. Are these children or their animals? Are they not in our communities? Do we see? Do we know? Can Jesus do something about those people? Are you with me? Or a different angle, and eh? you're just looking at me. There are some who are in our homes, whether we call them domestic assistants or agents. When you give them food and the soup, it's as if the soup is sieved to remove any particle of fish that can pass through the sieve so that they can drink cocoa sakura. 
or just splash some pepper on top of the kinky. And when they eat it, they drink water. And so they are around you, and their eyes and their hair is looking like kwashako. But kwashako is not from for not eating, but eating the wrong thing. These are the things that we have been challenged to look at. I can go into so many areas, but let me just pause it here. So what can we do? What can we do? Three or four things. One, use your eyes to see if there's anything around you, injustice around you on this Freedom Sunday. And see whether Christ has opened your eyes to see something and whether you can do something about it. Look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. Somebody was struck, was bleeding. The first one passed, the second one passed. What did the, the, what did the Good Samaritan do? The first, he opened his eyes and saw. Then he went near and touched and saw that this person is alive and decided to help the person. Some of us are too busy closing our eyes that we don't see anything around us. See no evil, talk no evil, and name no evil. That cannot be the Jesus we serve. Today, you are released to open your eyes. And if you open your eyes, what can you do about it? Let us as Christians not be engaged in this. Uh, let me use the words so that uh, my church members will not say I'm insulting them. But it's amazing. We've come to a point where when we see evil, criminal things going on, people who need our help, instead of going to help them, the first thing we do is to take a camera and start taking pictures of who has been knocked down by a car or which child is being stolen and put in which car and this and that. Put it on YouTube that there's fire, there's something, and we don't do anything about it. May the Lord help us. If it is you, you want people to take picture of you and put it down without anybody helping you. Remember the story recently about the Tumfo's, uh, uh, one of his chiefs being killed. The, the pastor said he was passing and the car was burning. So he stopped. Someone said, no, sorry. He, said, he stopped, took the fire extinguisher and went to douse the fire. And when they were dousing the fire, they looked back and said, no, there's something going on here. Somebody is already dead. It means somebody's trying to burn this car and kill and, 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 and just hide the dead body. Open your eyes. And the Spirit will help you open your eyes to be used as a voice and the eyes of God. Hallelujah. You can call the IJM, you can call the police, you can call whatever, or you can even get into a network and do that. The the the, the, uh, the one, I was telling you, when we tried to fight locally, it didn't work. Some of our British partners came. We took them to that place. Before we could say Jack, Clive Doubleday, a British pastor, had taken the issue to the House of Lords. The House of Lords began to put pressure on the government. That is how this was stopped. As I speak now, the child trafficking issue has become a socio-political issue. But some do it behind the scenes. See something, say something. That's what we're saying today. Yes, we're doing kuning, but some are still being oppressed. Use your voice. You can speak about it. You can speak against it. Use your knees. You can cry about it. You can pray about it. And many times we say we are praying, but we don't do much. Our Lord was not like that. So on this 
Freedom Day. We're saying Jesus' mission is our mission. Let's note one thing for sure. That we as believers have been left here to be the arm, the leg, the mouth, the eyes of Jesus to do what he has called us to do. We must understand that we cannot clean up the whole world of all the evil before the Lord comes. But we can do a lot more than we are doing in the area of the oppressed. The reason why he saved you and I is that together as individuals and as a church and as a nation, the reason why he saved you as a manager, as a lawyer, as a dentist, as somebody who has authority, who has education, is that you can also bring the good news to those who are oppressed. But above all, to bring health and healing to those who need it. The world is doing it. But they're doing it in such a way that you can only say, oh, they have done it. But what they are doing is so good that it may end up sending people to hell. I heard recently about the work that Bill Gates is doing and uh, Warren Buffett went to help him, giving 20 billion to help so that they can eradicate malaria and all of that. And I was so excited about it. And I remembered that when I went to school, I saw American mosquito. I sat down one day and the thing just came on me crying. And I said, hey, this mosquito is serious. Very long. And they were biting me. So when they bit me, I looked at it. After a while, I thought I was feeling feverish. And I did what doctors would say don't do. So I went to our clinic and I said, uh, I have malaria. The doctor said, you say you have, have malaria? I said, okay. You sit down. Okay. Uh, go and come back after two hours. They took my blood sample. Say, if you say you have malaria, we don't have ways of testing it here. I was in Kentucky. We will send your blood sample to Atlanta, Center for Diseases Control. In the meantime, you will go into quarantine. I said, I'll go where? Say you're going to quarantine. Said, do what? Said, well, we'll find out what you are really suffering from before we find treatment for you. But you know you have malaria. So, in fact, I couldn't sleep. Say, how long will it take for the test to come? Say, about two weeks. I said, oh God, have mercy on me. Fortunately, after three days, it came. And it was negative. And the doctor asked me, how did you decide that you had malaria. I said, oh, I was feeling some symptoms like I used to feel in Ghana. How long have you been in this country? I said, six months. He said, you see, in America, the mosquitoes that bite you eh, do not carry the parasite. They don't, they, they, they don't produce malaria. They just bite you free. <laughs> I said, yeah. Because Bill Gates and all these people, they've made sure that they are mosquitoes by those things that they do. They, they don't. I said, oh, really? So when I opened my mouth to say I have it, I said, okay, then we'll find out. And I ended up suffering for it. What's the point? They can do all kinds of good things in this world to take away cholera, to take away malaria, to take away disease and germs and all of that. But that does not necessarily lead to the salvation of humanity. It is only the Jesus way that saves you. So he asked the question, what shall it profit a man or woman to gain the whole world and lose his soul? 
That is why upon all that he did, preaching, teaching, healing, pastoral care, and counseling, the greatest gift was himself dying on the cross and saying, I've now formed the bridge between you and your God. I've come that you may have life and have it in abundance. And he offers that life to you. Let's bow our heads in prayer. First, his mission is your mission. Is it your mission? Preaching, teaching, healing, pastoral care, and counseling. Can you pray that to him and say, Lord, I accept that. Where I've been doing it, Lord, help me to even do better. Let me do better. Let me do better. Let me do a better job. Where I've not accepted it, Lord, open my eyes. Father, when I'm praying and waiting on you and I get these revelations, Lord, help me to put it in context in a way that will make me a useful servant of your kingdom. So as a believer, you want Jesus' mission to be your mission? Just pray to you, Lord, I accept the challenge. I am your workmanship. And I'll do what you have challenged me to do.